You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. So, Michael, we're social studies people, and so I think we should be pretty involved in stuff. Um, have you ever been, you know, the leader of any kind of political organizations or been active in organizations? I, I was the president of my dorm in college, if that's what, what if that counts. What kind of responsibilities does the president of a dorm have? It's a very good question. I'm so glad you asked. I, <laughs> I plan, helped plan the blind date ball which is where you go to like a, a ball and I guess it's a dance and you don't know who you're going with. And so I helped plan that. And I also helped sell t-shirts. No, I designed and sold t-shirts for our dorm. Wow. It was a lot of fun. This is the, the real stuff of democracy right here. Exactly. Cause there was a lot of like effort going in. Cause you need to like talk to your constituents, my dorm mates, ask them what type of shirt that they wanted. Do they like Homer Simpson? Does that tickle their fancy? And can we do it in such a way that we don't get sued? So there felt like there was a lot of good work going into that. Did you catapult from dorm president into the post-college political arena at all? Do you get involved in educational issues? It didn't launch me on my career. Like I, I'm not in Washington, a staffer working for you know uh, Jed Bartlett, like I had originally planned. <laughs> um, but I have been active in my union. Um, I'm a part of the new member, the new member committee. And we, we plan PD and we talk to new teachers about, you know, what it means to be a part of the union, what aspects of the union does, like negotiation uh, and how you can get more involved. And so that's kind of the, some of the stuff that I've been doing for the past few years. How about yourself? Have you been active in, in some sort of like political or education political stuff? You know, I've really been thinking a lot lately about that I need to get involved in new ways. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, again, democracy isn't just voting every four years. It's about participating regularly. And so um, let me update you on that in future episodes. I am, I'm, it's not that I'm not involved now, but I do want to do more. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm actually the, I'm on the um, traffic safety commission for my city. So it's oh, at, I knew that. Yeah, that's really fun, actually. You know, you have these meetings and just like two or three citizens show up and we argue about whether to take parking off someone's street. A couple of weeks ago, I tweeted out, that uh, I thought we should raise the parking meter prices um, at a spot in town. I'm sure that's really unpopular, but I think it was a good policy. They need to keep the cars in and out moving in that area. It was the the most dense, kind of most popular area of town, and they were charging like 10 cents, so people just parked their cars there all day. Um, Yeah. So hopefully that would help the businesses, but probably pretty unpopular with the college students who are all over there. Because 10 cents was kind of perfect. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like, like as educators, that people, teachers are involved in the political process? I don't think enough. I think too many teachers don't see it as part of their role. And so we've got to figure out what we can do. But fortunately today, we have a guest who can talk a little bit more about this and maybe give us some ideas about ways teachers can get involved in, in making a difference in education and our broader society. So we'd like to welcome into the podcast, Sean Sheehan. Hello. Hey, Sean. So, Sean, can you tell us a little bit about your background in education? 
So I started as a math special education teacher at Norman High School in Norman, Oklahoma, uh, back in 2011. Actually, a non-traditionally certified teacher. I got my bachelor's in journalism at Arizona State and went back to school so I could start teaching and got my master's in special ed at uh, University of Oklahoma. And so just started year six of teaching Algebra 1, and I love every minute of it. I really do. I love Algebra. Why do you love Algebra? Because it's like a mystery. X is something, and you have to find it, and that's what that excites me. There, there are always variables in life that, like, we never have the full picture to everything. So, so this logic that I'm teaching my kids, you know, I, I challenge them to apply it. I actually bought a car on Saturday. I bought a Chevy Equinox because I had a Chevy Sonic, uh, which was fine as a single dude, but now that I've got a three-week-old baby girl, the car seat like barely fits into it, and so uh, went back to the dealership and. Uh, did this back and forth and being a math teacher, I felt super empowered. I was like, dude, I hear you on these numbers. Like I hear you on the APR. But my question again is for how many months? Because you, you're telling me my car payment is lower than what I'm paying now. But if I'm paying that for 10 years, that doesn't balance out. Uh, so it's fun to just do that like back and forth. And congratulations on both the child and the car. Yeah, Mostly <laughs> the child though. Yeah, one's, one's definitely better. Yeah, the child's way better. <laughs> well, that's the type of word problem that would have got me, I think, more interested. I did enjoy the problem-solving aspect of math, but I wish there was more stories behind the problems I was solving, right? right. Um, Tossing a buying a car or defeating an evil goblin or something, and I think that would have helped. What, so, foil didn't excite you? Oh, no, yeah. wait, I hear they no longer do foil, or at least foil isn't the, um, they do more than foil, right? And it's generally, I think, frowned upon because we're trying to get away from those gimmicks. Yeah. To have more authentic, you know, learning. Yeah, authentic learning seems like the way to go. Sean, I know you probably wouldn't mention this yourself, but you were the Oklahoma Teacher of the Year. I've been to another banquet where you won another award. So I know that you, you're probably collecting awards, even as we speak currently. <laughs> but can you tell us a little bit about um, how, why you were recognized as the Teacher of the Year and kind of what that process was like? Yeah, you know, I think I know what it is, and it was that I, I hit the ground running. Uh, I kind of came to teaching a little bit later in life, and so I wasn't this, like, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, uh, fresh college grad who didn't really have a good, solid, um, like, I hadn't had a career before that. You know, I had done a couple different jobs, and so going into this, uh, I had set out to be the kind of teacher that I always wanted. I grew up in West Phoenix, and um, solid educators, they were tough to come by. In the, in the 90s and 2000s, when I was growing up in West Phoenix, gangs were a real problem. And so uh, I was always looking for a way out, and I was always, I was often, I should say, disappointed by the lack of education resources um, available to us. And I know I say that now as a teacher in retrospect, but even as just a teenage kid, you knew what you had and what you didn't have just based on traveling around town. And so uh, I, I hit the ground running. I come into this, and I, I, I had said on day one when we had to introduce ourselves to the faculty, they said, uh, what, what's a goal that you want to establish? And I said, I want to defy stereotypes of what a special education teacher looks like. Um, I have siblings who were in special education classes, and they were horribly embarrassed. Uh, they were mortified. And so uh, being a male, minority, young, uh, teaching special education students – uh, already defies a lot of the stereotypes, that demographic of a, a typical special education teacher. I think people picture when they hear, when they think of a special education teacher, they're thinking of an older, middle-aged, you know, white woman who is just giving hugs and high fives. And uh, I like to just defy that and say, no, nah, we're doing work in here. And so fast forward a, a minute, I'm doing it, and I started the Teach Like Me campaign. 
in my third year of teaching, after realizing that educators did a terrible job of selling this profession. I had overheard a colleague in the teacher's lounge discourage her own child from doing this job. She said, she said, don't do this job teaching. The pay is too low. You won't be respected and you're smart enough to do something else. And uh, yeah, and I'm sitting there just eating my turkey sandwich thinking like, that's a terrible sales pitch. Like <laughs> my dad was- <laughs> And how demoralizing course. to hear that over lunch. Yeah, for sure. You know, my dad was in the Air Force though and he, he never he never focused on all the, the hard times. He didn't say, son, don't do this job. Remember all those times I was deployed for, for Operation Desert Storm? Remember all the, the tough stuff I told you I had to go through? No, it was always about serving the community. And so I wanted to tap into those same core values uh, that military service members have and instill them in educators. Like there's a reason why you do this. Don't forget that reason. Don't lose sight of that. And um, so Teach Like Me happened. And that, that was definitely the thing that set me on this trajectory. And again, that was in year three. So, so my what fourth is year. Teach Like Me? So Teach Like Me is uh, this nonprofit now. Uh, that I started in 2013 in an effort to get educators to promote the profession, to self-promote uh, a little better. Like literally, I wanted educators to say the three words, teach like me. And not gotcha. teach like Sean, like that's super arrogant. I mean, if you teach third grade in Denver public schools, own it, be proud of it. Or if you teach AP US history in Los Angeles, be proud of it. And, and for a change, encourage other people to follow in your footsteps. Because I think too often, we focus on the low salary. We focus on all the challenges that we face. I think that's a, a great message, and I, I love the the positive campaign you have, Sean. Um, also love that my best friend helps to make you guys shirts. I don't yeah. know that. Um, uh, John. So yeah, John. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, yeah, I'm telling you, we have a lot of common friends. <laughs> there's this kind of challenge in teaching because for many of us, it is somewhat of a calling. And I really like there's a book uh, Dana Goldstein wrote called The Teacher Wars that came out in, I think, 2014. And it's a good book. I don't agree with necessarily everything she has to say, particularly about teacher education, but there's a lot of wisdom about how teaching has been viewed and understood over the years. And one problem the field has faced is that it actually is viewed as a calling, but sometimes doesn't get the respect it deserves as a profession. Right. And that we deserve to you know, demand not only, not only we dedicate it above and beyond, and we should be as educators, because it is a, an important, critical job, and there's an element of service to it, but we should also demand that we're treated as the professionals that we are. So I know that that's something that you've been working on through the Teach Like Me campaign, but you've also been an activist for, for teachers politically and other ways. Can you tell us about running for office and what that was like and what your aims were. Absolutely. So uh, in my fourth year of teaching, I'm selected as Oklahoma's Teacher of the Year. And with that comes a, a year sabbatical to travel the state and really country and uh, visit with educators. Uh, most of my time was spent visiting with uh, colleges of ed, talking with teacher, uh, student interns, you know, that sort of deal. And once I ventured outside of my bubble in Norman, Oklahoma, I realized just how hard it is to teach in this state and the disparities that existed from OKC to Tulsa to all the rural communities that Oklahoma has. And so frustrated by that, I said, you know what, it's, I, I did some digging and I said, well, it's not, it's not the principals and it's not the superintendents. It's not even our, our chief superintendent, state superintendent. It's the lawmakers. And so I got so fed up with that lip service that they would pay us where they would say, hey, uh, we love teachers or my sister was a teacher. My mom was a teacher. And yet their actions in the capital would not reflect their same love and passion for educators. And so, you know what? You guys aren't doing your job. I want your seat. 
And the good news was I didn't have to do it alone. Over 40 educators ran for office in this state. It was pretty remarkable, actually. Wow. It was really encouraging for me as a native Oklahoman to see so many teachers run for office and try to make a difference that way. What was the campaign process like? And and what was it particularly like from an educational standpoint? How did you focus on education issues and make that kind of part of your platform? Talking about the education issues was easy. I actually had to work hard to step away from talking about education because I didn't want to get typecast as only caring about public ed. Uh, when you're running for office, you've got to be well-versed in uh, prison reform and tax policy and the economy and, and how are you going to improve all these other facets, the Department of Mental Health Services, how are you going to improve the community? It, it's not just through public ed. And so when I would knock a door, uh, I would start in my spiel. I'd say, hey, uh, I'm just out introducing myself to folks. I'm a teacher here in Norman, and I'm running for state senate for our district. And uh, I'm running because I'm, I'm frustrated with where education is going in this state. I'd insert a pause right there because every time the person would have something to say about it. Even if they themselves didn't have children, they would say, yeah, my niece, my nephew, my neighbor's kids, what's going on is unacceptable. So the jump off point for us was was always talking about education. And then I would throw it back to them and ask, so what are the other issues that are important to you? You know, let's talk about the health services and all that. What's, what's important to you as a citizen in this community? I feel like I'm 80 years old in the wisdom that I attained by knocking <laughs> doors this summer and visiting with people who live in my community. So you are knocking on doors to the people who, community that you teach in. What are some things that you learned about your community that you didn't know before? I didn't know how pressing some of these other issues were. You know, I knew that Oklahoma has some of the highest incarceration rates in the state, in the country, excuse me. But when you get the stories to what's really going on, it just makes it that much more powerful. And when you get stories from folks who say why they support school vouchers or private schools and all the other issues that, you know, as a proud union member of my Oklahoma Education Association, you kind of just accepted without a batting an eyelash at it. And now that now that my values are challenged on the door in front of this person, it really required a lot of soul searching on my own part. You know, I had this great conversation about vaccinations with this this couple. And, you know, we disagreed pretty pretty strongly with each other, but we left still in a very good spot. And so it inspired me. You know, I wish I wish that we could have these same disagreements politically, over religion, over any issue, and still be able to to walk away from these conversations with a handshake and say, hey, well, you know, I still respect you as an individual. We don't see that enough just on the media and, and on Facebook when we're logging in. Do you think part of it is because you were talking face to face and not through some sort of social media? That face to face interaction changes it kind of changes the conversation entirely. It really does because, you know, it's so easy to like and share and retweet and, and make comments on, on social media. But when you're standing at that person's door and you're saying, no, this is the reason why vaccinations are important. This is why school vouchers drain public education. This is why, you know, whatever the issue is matters. Uh, you have to defend yourself in person and it, it, you, it does away with the whole, it's not nearly as easy. It's not nearly as easy to be dismissive of the person's values when they're looking you in the eye and saying, no, this is what I believe. So what did you learn that teachers could take away from getting more involved in the community? Because we always hear that as a focus, that we need to get out in the communities, we need to connect as educators, we need to bring the community in, into our school, whether it's family members or you know bringing in cultural traditions. Do you think you learned something for your own teaching that you could take away from that process? Yeah, you know, I feel like after running for office this election cycle, I feel like a totally different teacher. I feel like a first year teacher. And not in the way that like what I was doing in the past was wrong, but that it just wasn't 
it wasn't nearly as good as it should be. And and I plan on, on continuing to build on that. But what I learned was that the community just doesn't fully understand the work that we do. Mm-hmm. They don't. And as well-intentioned as they may be, the responsibility, that burden of informing the public does lie on us. We can't expect them to take time off of their job to come in and sit in our classrooms. We've got to find ways to bring our classroom to them. And and so that's the challenge. You know, that's what I'm trying to reach out with Teach Like Me. And that was part of why I was running for office. You know, I, when my kids asked me, they said, why are you running for office? Why are you doing this? I said, the bottom line, guys, is this is about representation. These lawmakers are passing laws in such a way because they don't have educators up there who understand the ins and outs of it. And so we need representation up there. So we have someone up there who's done it and been in the job and can say, no, nah, here's here's why this is not a good idea. Here's why doing away with criminal background checks for Oklahoma educators is a poor choice. Let's talk what? about it. No, that was a real piece of legislation that was considered in 2015 because they thought that the teacher shortage was due to criminal background checks as if there was just this queue of hundreds of people who wanted to teach in this state, but it was that pesky criminal background check that was holding them up. Yeah, that seems like a bad idea. I'm silently screaming. I know. It doesn't seem like that would take educators being up at the Capitol to realize the problems with with that legislation. But yeah, I've lived in Oklahoma and um, they come up with some incredible stuff. I know the election didn't go the way that you wanted, Sean, but hopefully you know, I think a lot of people took a lot of hope from what you did. I know I was following it from out of state. I just want to tell you thank you for running. Thank you. Um, even though th- this round didn't go that way, I think it's part of, you know, we didn't win the battle, but but we're still fighting the war. And it was, there was some setbacks. How did, how did other educators do in the state? Were there some successes? Do you feel that there's some momentum to build on, on um, what you did and what other educators did for by running for office? Definitely. You know, just the act of 40 plus educators running for office sent a message. You know, that we were willing to challenge these incumbents for their seats spoke volumes and it caught national attention, you know, that most of us lost was very frustrating. I had posted in my own blog that it felt like the message was, you know, Oklahoma educators are not have no place at the state capitol. You know, that's what kind of the voters said. And it feels it feels deeply personal and it's hard to just get up and, and keep moving forward. Admittedly, you know, I had to sit on that blog post for about a week. It, it took a lot of different tones before the finished product came out that said, hey, you know, keep moving forward because, you know, we, we genuinely wanted the job. It's, it's the only job that you go out and apply for by convincing others, you know, that they should, they should vote for you and not just like a handful of folks, you know, thousands of people. And, and I was, I was, I was very fortunate to get 12,000 votes as an independent in this state, this very red state, in this very red district, 12,000 votes was, was an accomplishment, but it just, it wasn't enough. The opponent secured 21,000. We've got straight party ticket voting in our state. So I think that was the biggest problem. And the other challenge is what was happening on the national level trickled down to the local. And that served to my advantage through the summer and through the debates, because as an independent people, you know, I could tell people, hey, you know, I don't, I don't believe in the party system altogether. I don't like either side what's going on in there. Like, I'm right there with you. Yeah, man. And then two weeks out to the national, you know, to the presidential election, stuff went down, Hillary lost traction, Trump gained a whole lot more momentum. And we saw that in, in our local elections, we saw people just default back to what they were comfortable with, which is predominantly Republicans in the state, which is not a, a slam against Republicans by any means, but it does feel like, so here we are, back to square one. We're going to keep doing the same thing, keep doing the same dance. At what point do we make a conscious decision 
to change things and move forward. And so a lot of frustration, a lot of tensions running high. And I've been fortunate to be able to meet with a group of fellow educators who ran for office. We got to kind of commiserate over a cup of coffee and talk about, you know, what do we do now? Because we have done everything possible that we know how to do, and we're still hitting a wall. So what's next? And I don't have an answer for that, honestly. That's unfortunate because I was getting ready to ask you for the answer to what's next. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've got an inkling. You know, I've got some ideas. Uh, it's hard to find the motivation sometimes. And this is just a it's, it's just a season. It's just a season mm-hmm. of life right now. We're having to have some pretty serious conversations with our students and our schools. We've had some issues, uh, some bullying, harassment on both sides. And so it's it, it feels... I don't know how to describe it. It feels like uh, an episode of The Twilight Zone almost. And you you think it's a bad dream that you're just going to wake up from, but uh, you wake up and you turn on the news and it's the same story. (laughs) And so in all of this, what I mean to say is in all of this, uh, how do we move forward? It's it's about uh, not throwing in the towel. You can't. And we know this. You guys know this as educators and, and the educators across the country who have been in this and doing this for years and years know that, you know, when you hit a wall then you just keep finding a way to push through the wall to, or you, you get a ladder or you find a door, we'll figure it out. What advice do you have for teachers to get more active in general? What are some some ways that we can do it or we can advise people to do it? The easiest way is to get involved in a way that makes sense for you. For me, it was social media, and that was what the Teach Like Me campaign was all about. It was it exists solely on social media. I told you my undergrad is in journalism, and my focus was on public relations. And what, what Oklahoma education needed desperately was a PR overhaul. And so Teach Like Me was, was critical in that because it was teachers standing up and saying, declaring proudly on social media, contrary to what you're seeing on the news, we love our jobs. And we encourage other people to follow in our footsteps. And so that was that was the way that made sense to me. Rallies didn't make sense to me. Setting appointments with my legislator didn't make sense to me because I, I felt like it was just a waste of time. And by getting involved in a way that makes sense to you, you're more comfortable, you're more at ease. And then you'll start you'll start drifting into the other areas naturally. So naturally, um, I drifted into the political arena because by doing the social media campaign, it was the well, who who made this decision? It wasn't you, and it wasn't you. Who's making these decisions? Oh, it's legislators. Okay, well, how do you become a legislator? Oh, right, civics from eighth grade. I think I learned there's an age requirement and and, and all that. And so um, to all the educators who are listening in, find a way to get involved that makes sense to you. If holding picket signs makes no sense to you, don't do it that way. But if you're great about blogging and writing solid emails to legislators, do that. Start there, and then maybe you'll meet with them in person. And then you might even consider running for office. You never know where it'll take you. So I was just hosting a, a panel uh, for new teachers, and I was talking with this woman, or this woman was on our panel, and she was talking about how she didn't realize at first, but a lot of decisions are out of her hands and out of her principal's hands. And for her to make that realization as to where these decisions were made was the most important realization she ever did, because then she could start to get active and write letters. For her, it was, it was doing a lot of writing letters to right. then advocate for herself. And so that was a way that she just kind of naturally, you know, progressed. But it was that realization that, oh, yeah, we're not in control of our destiny. We're not in control of, you know, the circumstances um, that are affecting us. So I need to figure out a way to change it. I do the same thing, Michael. I talk to my pre-service teachers a lot about that schools are very much dictated by politics and we have to get involved if we see inequities in funding or we see issues of segregation or tracking in our schools that are problematic 
those issues are fixed by people like us. Um, and so we have to get involved. And as a government teacher, I really appreciate, um, Sean, your your advice that people should get involved in the places where they can, because there's so many entry points to getting involved in democracy. And unfortunately, I feel like often our government curriculum, um, this is kind of my opinion, just doesn't do a good enough job in showing us how we can get involved locally um, and what to do. And there are a lot of different things we can do. So I think, I think that's really sound advice to figure out what's your role and how do you make a change. Is one way just to, to share stuff on your Facebook wall to your friends? Yeah. <laughs> the key way to change democracy is to share things to like-minded people in your filter bubble on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I learned was that I I tried to, I tried to stay I, I actually tried to stay out of politics. I didn't want to believe that education was nearly as political as it is, and I didn't want to believe that there are individuals out there who are bent on starving public education. Didn't think they existed. And then I met those people. I I met them face to face, people who are very interested in privatizing public education. And so the goal here is that, you know, if, if you want to have, if you want your kids to get into the best colleges, then this is the school that they go to, brought to you by such and such corporation. But you could go back to those public schools, but the public schools would end up being places for the have-nots, you know. So these these private schools would be the, for the haves, and the public schools would be for the have-nots. And all that to say, you know, I it's, it's not like there's this, uh, I don't buy into the whole conspiracy theory thing, although that was a fun story, I'll tell you. I knocked a door. Of this gentleman in a pretty affluent neighborhood, mind you, three car garage is like really gorgeous place. This gentleman comes out and he's smoking a cigarette and kind of blowing smoke in my face, being kind of rude. And he's like, you know, he answers, he starts right and he says, "What do you want?" And so you know this is not going to go well. He's like, "I actually don't want anything, sir. I'm, uh, I'm just out introducing myself." Nah, you want something? What do you want? Oh no, sir, no. Literally, I'm just out introducing myself to folks. I'm running for state senate. No, you want money? No, <laughs> said. I mean. That could be part of the ask. So we get to it. He said, he said, so you, so what you want is you want money in the form of taxes for education. I said, yeah, I understand your logic there. And he said, well, what happens when you don't pay your taxes? Well, I, uh, I suppose you get fined. No. He said, the men in suits come and they shoot you. Really? Oh, I kid you not. And, and so inside, red flags going off, like, get away from this door, stat. This is not going <laughs> to go well. But then the teacher and me and just the inquisitiveness in me is thinking, Let's go down this rabbit hole because I'm really intrigued <laughs> as to who he thinks these people are that are going to shoot you if you don't pay taxes. And so we do the digging. We do this back and forth. And he says, he says, so if you don't pay your taxes, I said, you get a fine. He said, and then what if you don't pay the fine? Okay, well, then I suppose you go to jail. He's like, I said, right. And what happens if you resist going to jail? Oh, okay. So then I follow your logic. I guess if you're resisting arrest, it's possible that they could shoot you. But he said, that's not even possible, buddy. Look it up. It's a fact. Wow. So it's I, the suits <laughs> part that I find interesting. The suits yeah. is interesting. Nicely so dressed men will shoot you. That's right. I said, well, hey, I appreciate your time, sir. And uh, listen, here's here's my here's the website. And uh, just and the funny thing is, I, I'm certain I got his vote because I listened to his stuff. I listened to him tell his story. And we left with a handshake. And he, he just kind of gave me a nod, kind of like, well, you're all right. And then, and then that was the end of it. So it was, you know, Sean, that's some great teacher in you right there, because I think <laughs> one of the best things teachers do is listen to their students and, yes. and, and ask questions to get them to figure out the flaws in their logic. Very, uh, you know, go, that goes all the way back to Socrates, right? Right. Well, 
Sean, so thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I hope the men in suits stay far away from you and, and that you're able to make a big difference you know, going forward, and I know that you will. Can you tell our listeners where they can find your work online? Yes, uh, please check out teachlikeme.org for all the Teach Like Me Incorporated uh, nonprofit stuff that we're doing with that. And uh, for personal stuff, check out seansheehan.com. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope to continue this discussion online and possibly in other spaces. And we're all about sharing the learning on the Visions of Education podcast. If you tweet us at Visions of Ed, if you're doing anything creative in education, we'd love to have a conversation. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And if you write us a five-star review, we'll go ahead and read it right on the air. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast, signing off.